welcome to Marketing Week Explores. I'm Molly Fleming, a reporter for Marketing Week, and this week we'll be discussing the news that Tesco's CEO, Dave Lewis, is stepping down and the legacy he'll leave. Plus, have you ever wanted to work abroad? Many of us dream of upping our life and moving to the other side of the world, but what is the reality? Senior writer Charlotte Rogers has been talking to a range of marketers from across sectors to discuss what it takes to work as a marketer internationally. Charlotte, you've been writing a series of, on marketers who work internationally. Can you talk me through why you wanted to write this story? Well, I think a lot of marketers are kind of thinking about what they want to do with their career. Um, and a lot of them are thinking that they'd quite like to go and explore what it's like to work abroad. Um, so I wanted to look at marketers who have had really varied international careers and then also kind of hone in on what it's like to be a marketer in Japan. Japan specifically because um, obviously it's the Rugby World Cup at the moment, we've got the Olympics and the Paralympics coming up next year. So there's a lot of marketing activity going on. And the piece on Japan kickstarts um, a whole new series they're doing, kind of looking at what it's like to be a marketer in different countries. I think for many people, myself included, working abroad always sounds like a dream, but what is the reality? Yeah, I think there's a lot to get to grips with. Um, one of the things is the talent level where you go. Um, and the fact that you might not always be the top performer like you might have been in your domestic market. So um, I found this out from Anna Chikina, who is currently Vice President of Global Face Care and Personal Care at Avon. And she started working for P&G in Moscow before transferring to Cincinnati, which is group headquarters. Um, and what she found was moving to a new market means getting to grips with a new working culture and a new level of talent. So what she found is that that can sometimes mean that you kind of question your own performance in relation to the people that you're working with. And then you move there, and depending on the talent situa situation in a certain market, and I moved to the US, so the talent was very strong, all of a sudden you, you are in the middle of the pack, right? You're not uh, the top performing uh, individual in your peer group. Um, and, you know, and that can be... Um, that's a useful experience, but it can be difficult to accept that, you know, you, you used to be a top performer in Moscow, but you are now just, you know, average. So, um, it took me, it took me a couple of years to become a top performer in the U.S. Um, and, um, it took me even more to become a top performer in the U.K. Well, I guess we've kind of talked about the negatives. What about the positives? How do you make it a success? So I think that there, uh, is a massive opportunity of embracing a new culture and just kind of throwing yourself into it. Um, Adrian Farina, who is now head of marketing for Europe at Visa, he started his career in marketing at Pizza Hut in his native Argentina, and then he became an assistant brand manager at P&G. And after two years in Argentina, he moved around South America. So he went to Venezuela, Brazil, and Chile. And he said that Brazil was the steepest learning curve because it was a different language, and a completely different culture. Um, so he threw himself into learning Portuguese in high speed mode um, because he really wanted to fully embrace the new culture he was living in. Going means not just going uh, and staying in a hotel or just in meeting rooms, but going means uh, spending time uh, on the streets, uh, seeing how people buy, shop, consume, uh, what are the conversations that happen. Again, if you can do that, first-hand without needing translations is even better because you can capture a lot of again the nuances and the uh, and again the, the meaning behind the, the, the literal words. Another thing is to start when you're young um, and you're young enough to be malleable to take risks um, and kind of throw yourself into a new market. Delphine Boutin, she is Associate Brand Director of P&G owned 
Japanese cosmetic brands SK2. She advises anyone moving internationally to kind of do it as early as possible when you're up for taking risks and you're ready to learn from scratch. Another thing worth considering is the role that marketing has in the market that you're going to. So um, Adrian Farina, he talked about how agencies in Brazil are sought after, it's a really creative environment and they want to do like the most interesting work possible. But then you also need to think about um, the standing of marketing and advertising in pop culture. So he found in other parts of South America, it was much more traditional, much more strategy based, less taking less risks, less creative. And that made him reevaluate the way that he assessed the campaigns and the creativity he was given by the agency based on the role that marketing has in pop culture. You did a deep dive into Japan specifically. We mentioned it's because the Rugby World Cup in Tokyo this year and the Paralympics next year. So lots of brands have been focusing there. Can you talk me through what the market is like? Well, I think it's worth noting that it's a real a real conundrum as a market. You know, you think to yourself, it's going to be like Blade Runner. It's going to be the most forward-thinking, um, you know, most digitally savvy market in the world. Um, and actually, by 2030, one in three Japanese people will be aged over 65. They have a hugely aging population, which means that actually a lot of the marketing is skewed towards TV and print. And another thing to realise is this, the kind of position that marketing has in Japan. So um, traditionally, um, marketing was not regarded as a strategic function within Japanese businesses. So it kind of plays into this idea of a job for life culture. So traditionally, graduates would go into a business and you would stay there for 30, 40 years and you would be moved around function. So you can't say I'm a marketer because you one year you might be in IT, one year you might be in sales. So um, it would not be traditional to have a CMO role. Um, and I think what's interesting as well is that I was speaking to Jim Geraghty, who is Heineken Rugby World Cup project director, and he was saying that actually Japanese culture is much more dominated by sales than marketing, and marketing often seen as reporting into sales um, rather than having a seat at the table on its own like we would have here in Europe. Um, what they tend to do, what has been traditional, is for Japanese businesses to outsource to agencies such as Densu Aegis and Hakuhodo, um, and they are full service agencies, so they do everything for brands. Um, so it's an interesting mix of, you kind of need to, if you're an international brand, tap into these Japanese giants, um, who um, Natalie Mayer, who's founder and CEO of Insights Agency Tokyo-esque, she talks about them being the gatekeepers of Japanese media. And if as a brand you don't work with these agencies, you can end up on the periphery. God, it's a really interesting dynamic, especially as we've been writing so much about the value of agencies and in-housing in the UK. It's interesting to see what they're doing in Japan and how flipped that is. Yeah, completely. Like, they don't have the same level of specialisation we have. So instead of having a digital agency and a media agency, you have these big beasts that do everything. I mean, obviously that's changing, but the downside of that is that you might lack the level of specialisation that you need. So it's incredibly fast-paced. So for listeners, what would you say is the Japanese consumer contest as someone who's really looked at it? I would say it's incredibly detail driven. So um, there's a focus on perfection um, and like top quality. So Coke were telling me um, that if a retailer has a can of Coke uh, and there's a dent in it, they will take it away rather than let a retailer sell a Coke can with a dent in it. It's that level of perfection. Um, when I was talking to Heineken, they were saying that they have a Japanese joint venture partner, the brewer Kirin, um, and they were saying that they will not accept anything less than a 100% product. Like it will not go out into the market unless it's perfect. Whereas here in the you know in the UK, we might be happy with something that's 80% because we want to try something new, get it out there quicker. There is a level of 
perfection and an expectation amongst consumers um, who have a real eye for, for detail and quality. Another thing that McDonald's Japan, they um, talk about having the highest level of customer service in Japan and they were saying that there's a Japanese word, omotenashi, which means Japanese style hospitality. And McDonald's have introduced these omotenashi leaders who basically anticipate what the customer wants before they even want it. Um, they want to, They have to be one step ahead of the customer, make sure the restaurants feel really special and it's a feel good moment with absolutely no friction. So it's this idea of being um, very detail focused, very quality conscious um, and also very loyal around domestic brands. I'm really excited for the international series, but I guess to end on, what advice would you give to young marketers who think this sounds like something I want to do, I want to go abroad? Do it, give it a go. You can always come back if it doesn't work. You can always do it again. You can always do it later in your career if now's not the right time. Um, what I would say is when you get there, try and immerse yourself in the culture. That's what people have said to me. You know, Try and understand what it's like to be a consumer there, what it's really like to live there. So don't just surround yourself with expats. Um, meet people who actually are from there. If you're gonna stay for a long time, maybe try and learn the language. Um, just so that you can get all those nuances that you might not be able to otherwise get. Um, and I would say be um, open-minded. You know, you might be the very best, at, like top of your game here, but it will take a period of adjustment and don't be hard on yourself. I'm joined by a senior reporter at Marketing Week, Ellen Hammer, to discuss the news that Tesco CEO Dave Lewis is stepping down. Ellen, you've been running around the office today and the, I think the only word I've heard you say is Tesco. So tell us what's going on. Yes, I think a 2nd of October will from now on just be known as Tesco Day. It was a busy day and of course the big news was that Tesco's chief executive, Dave Lewis, um, announced he is leaving Tesco um, probably at the middle of next year. Which sort of, is, I think it's taken everyone by surprise. Um, every time I've been to a press conference for the last couple of years, someone's asked him if he's got plans to leave and he's always said no. Of course, you couldn't say that anyway. But um, yeah, it feels like it's come out of the blue. Um, he says it's for personal reasons. He wants to spend more time with his family, recharge his batteries. Also, he says that he feels that the turnaround job that he set out to do when he joined in 2014 is complete. He joined at a really, really difficult time. So, of course, everyone remembers the horse meat scandal, lots of um, hygiene issues and chicken factory um, scandals as well. And then when he joined, Tesco was embroiled in a massive accountancy scandal, which um, was actually led to Tesco posting the biggest ever corporate loss in the UK which was over six billion pounds. So, so he had this... was starting from a bad point. Then. He was starting from a low point. Um, consumer perceptions of Tesco at that point, according to YouGov, um, they were almost zero, which is you know the lowest they've ever been. Um, and then Lewis said uh, his only strategy back then was survival. Um, but of course. He over the last five years, he has he's done a lot for Tesco. So um, it's turned around mostly focused on cutting costs, which of course has included um, cutting thousands of jobs as well, um, overhauling Tesco's brand ranges, rebuilding Tesco's relationship with its customers, 
He's also made some big changes, including the acquisition of the UK's biggest wholesaler, Booker, um, and also launching Jack's discount chain to try and fend off competition from Audi and Lidl. Although, how Jack's is doing, um, it's sort of, it's remains to be seen they've had to close one of the stores and um keeping keeping everything else very close to their chest what do you think about the future well i think they kind of went into it and it was like this is going to take on aldi and lidl and actually what we found is jacks really hasn't materialized in the way that we maybe thought it would i know they say they're going to open three more by february 2020 but then they have closed one and I think when they said they were bringing Jack's products into Tesco stores, anecdotally, I've seen that and I've seen it retreat. So I'm just kind of questioning whether Jack's really is a viable standalone brand um, and whether they have got quite, um, have they got strong ambitions for it or not? I'm not sure. I agree. Um, I also, I've never actually seen a Jack's. I know that they're not, they're not in London, um, but even the presence you know, from a brand perspective online and everywhere, um, the marketing has been, feels like it's been very low key. But of course, as Lewis says, the job is not done, which is where Ken Murphy steps in. Yeah, Ken Murphy, he's a marketer whose appointment has raised quite a few eyebrows, I think it's fair to say. Do you think he's the right man for the next phase? So... Murphy's been fairly under the radar in the UK retail industry. He was the former chief commercial officer of Walgreen Boots. Um, He was a customer of Dave Lewis's when Dave worked at Unilever. So that's how they know each other. Um, He's a retailer through and through. His, His experience is just retail. He started working in his dad's shop when he was 15 um, and has been in retail ever since. So I think we can say that he understands how retail works. Um, There have been lots of questions around why Tesco didn't hire somebody internally, because of course it's executive team. Um, There are plenty of capable people in there that could have taken the job on. They know the Tesco business inside and out. They also know know what um, Lewis's strategy has been. I guess I'm kind of curious, though, what does this mean for the business? So Murphy doesn't have any specific grocery experience, but neither did Dave Lewis when he joined. His background, you know, was mostly at Unilever, so it was FMCG. Um, But while Murphy inherits a much stronger business than, than Lewis did when he joined, he still has a lot of challenges. So, you know... Tesco still has that competition from Audi and Lidl. Also Amazon with Amazon's wholesale business, Amazon Go, um, and of course the potential outcomes from a no-deal Brexit. So we'll wait and see whether he continues what Lewis has started or decides to do it his own way. Another big announcement was that they've revamped, not revamped, they've um, unveiled the next stage of their their loyalty scheme, which is Clubcard Plus. So that's gonna launch at the end of this year. So it's gonna be very early days when M- Murphy takes that on. Um, and it's it's quite a bit, it's a completely new subscription service, which is quite unheard of for a loyalty scheme. Um, 
Charlotte, I know you had some thoughts on Club Car Plus. <laughs> yeah, I do. So I was reading that it costs, uh, it will cost seven ninety nine a month, and that will entitle you to ten percent off two big shops. And I think it relies on this idea that we still do big shops, but we've heard more and more that consumers shop in a different way now. It's convenience based, and they say that they're going to open one hundred and fifty more express branches over three years, and only four new superstores. How does that play into a big shop incentive? I'm just not sure that people do big shops anymore. I would also like to to see if it impacts how many people um, decide to take up Tesco Mobile because you can also get double double mobile data oh. if you're a Club Car Plus member and also ongoing ten percent off all not all but most of Tesco's exclusive brands. I guess to kind of finalise, what do you think Lewis's legacy will be? So, as much as he hates this and insists that no one has he's ever worked with has ever called him this. Um, I think the nickname Drastic Dave, as he has accumulated over the years, uh, will stick. Um, He also said he doesn't want to be known as the man who saved Tesco because Tesco, the business, has been turned around by 450,000 people. Um, But I think it's safe to say he will definitely be remembered as the man who got Tesco out of quite a big pickle. Um, actually, when he was speaking the other day, he said if he could have one thing, he wants to be remembered as a loyal and active member of a fantastic team at Tesco. So there we go. Personally, I prefer someone who got Tesco out of quite a big pickle. (laughs) I think that has a better ring to it. Well, thanks so much, both of you, for that. Now, I'm going to ask you two key questions for our listeners. What is your key takeaway from today's podcast? And secondly, what will you be watching closely in the coming weeks? Charlotte, you up first. That Japan sounds like a really interesting place to work, um, that it's full of contradictions, that there's still a job to do for marketing to be totally understood within um, traditional Japanese businesses, but actually that there are a lot of opportunities, um, especially if you're into creating quality products um, that are kind of novelty and trend-focused that people over there will love. My key takeaway is that I think Dave Lewis has done a pretty stellar job um, at Tesco, it seems to be going on the up. Um, lots of, still lots of challenges um, that Ken Murphy is going to have to to uh, take on. Um, but I think as it stands, Tesco is in a pretty decent position. I think my key takeaway is the same as your Charlotte, that Japan sounds like a really cool place to work. But also the cultural context is something I hadn't really thought about. I mean, I thought about the difference between working in somewhere with a different language, different behaviours and traditions. But I hadn't thought about what it's like to go from somewhere where you're at the top of your game to suddenly starting almost at the bottom again. So I think that's my key takeaway, that difficult transition. And secondly, what will you both be watching in the coming weeks? Ellen? So um, a new campaign has just launched by 100 of the UK's top female business leaders, which is aimed at closing the gender pay gap. Um, the campaign is called hashtag me Too pay, um, which includes a website where women can share examples of good and bad corporate policies and also keep track of key court cases. Um, it's already gained the support of Claire Balding and a number of other key public figures. So I think I'm going to be looking out for how it's received um, among, you know, not just the industry, but the wider public, uh, whether there are any criticisms or backlash and who from, and also whether male leaders um, decide to pledge their support as well. 
I guess what I'm looking at is sponsorship, specifically BP sponsorship. Uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company cut ties with BP the other day after students threatened the company. It was to do with their kind of student loyalty. It had been an eight-year sponsorship and it had been a long time coming. And I think it's really interesting because we've been having discussions about greenwashing for some time. But this is an example of an institution saying the money's not worth it mm. for us anymore. And I just think that's a really exciting thing to look at how... Actually, it's not just about money anymore, how brands are really taking that idea of like purpose and also that consumers are saying money off isn't enough anymore. I feel like often we're told that, you know, at the end of the day, money off and convenience will always trump, I don't know, values, say take Amazon, for example, which we talked about the other day. But this is an example of where that shift is changing, especially for younger people. So I'm quite excited. And that sort of chimes into the whole backlash against fast fashion as well and younger people looking um, at more sustainable options, unless you're Boohoo, which just keeps on going. I'm interested in the future of e-cigarettes. So I feel like there's been a massive backlash at the moment. Obviously the ASA investigating your blue and vibe over complaints around their TV, outdoor and social ads, saying that they're targeting under 18s um, and that they're advertising and misinforms people. Um, and Yul's CEO stepped down in late September and the company suspended all its TV, print and digital ads. So I think that the backlash um, to e-cigarettes has come a lot faster than any backlash to tobacco, if you yeah. think about how long that gestation yeah. period was to now this. I wonder what the future is for these kind of e-cig brands, um, whether they will be able to advertise in the same way, whether they'll have to change their products, um, and whether we're just going to see people engaging with them a lot less. So we hope you enjoyed this week's Marketing Week Explores. We're keen to hear your opinions about the podcast, so please do tweet us at Marketing Week Ed. And as ever, if you want to read the content we've been discussing or get more of the best marketing news and insight, go to our website, marketingweek.com. And finally, that just leaves me to thank Ellen and Charlotte and you for listening. <laughs>